Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Baxty Future. Today we have a very special episode. This is the first time this podcast has ever had guests on. Normally this podcast is like me ranting to myself for like 10, 20, sometimes even 40 minutes. Like that one episode where I talked about why GPT-3 is a bad name. <laughs> but anyway, so this is the first time we're having guests and we don't just have any guests. These are the official OpenAI ambassadors. I not only have one, but I have two of them here to, to speak with you guys and, and share their knowledge and obviously talk about the OpenAI Codex announcement and event yesterday and how they're finding it. Now, if I'm going to let them introduce themselves in just a moment, but first I, I, I really just want to gas them up a little bit <laughs> because, um, you know, like to have them come over is, is a big deal, right? Like they they are the official ambassadors. These are people who live and breathe open AI, open AI products. They're volunteers. They make time. You can book office hours with them. And it's not just their, the fact that they're open AI ambassadors, but they are, you know, incredibly, uh, outlier, tremendous people, right? So, uh, very quickly, like LeBron is not only just an entrepreneur, but I, in, in, in my view, as somebody in the open AI community, he's, he's definitely a pioneer when it comes to social good, altruism. Uh, I, I believe to my understanding, he's probably the first person to make like a GPT three app for a social cause in the first place. Uh, and so, uh, that's a, you know, tremendous achievement. And of course, Yash is uh, not only a student, but just like a, just a hustler. Like he's, he's got this awesome website, which is a great resource for people who are into GPT-3. And also I think he's any, anything I've suggested as a demo or potential product, I found he's already made. So he's just raging code executing. These are two people that you really want to know. You want to follow if you're into any GPT-3, any multimodal, any AI stuff. You want to follow them on Twitter. You want to engage with what they're doing. So anyways, that's me gassing them up. I could keep going. I'm going to cut myself off here. Abroad, why don't you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, this is great. Thank you, um, Bax, for this. Uh, Co-founder of Create Labs Ventures. Create Labs does a number of things, including helping the underserved community get access to technology, whether it's just exposure to that technology, um, or opportunities to showcase their skills with that technology, doing uh, you know project work. Um, so over the years, uh, we've pivoted quite a bit. Obviously, COVID threw a wrench in our physical you know events that we would do in person around technology. Uh, but the opportunity came during the pandemic, and you know everyone in the groups kind of said it kind of saved us you know mentally and, and creatively for you know giving us something to to really iterate around. And ideate around uh, with uh, starting with GPT three and uh, Codex. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hey everyone, thanks so much for having me, and thank you so much for the kind words, Bax. Uh, I guess just like a brief introduction by myself. As you mentioned, I'm currently a student. I study software engineering at the University of Waterloo. Um, apart from that, I, I spend a lot of my time trying to just like code up and experiment with a bunch of GPT-3 projects. Over, I think, the course of 2020, I've built a bunch of random side projects that use the OpenAI API that have been used by over like a quarter of a million users, ranging from things that Bax mentioned about like compiling a list of projects to summarizing scientific papers to uh, a bunch of random things like that. Um, and you know, currently, I spend a lot of my time thinking about uh, ways in which we can make really compelling demos and products using Codex, which I'm sure we'll dive into soon. Yes. Awesome. So yeah, let, let, let's, let's pick up 
right there. So even before we get to Codex, what did you guys think about the conference yesterday? You know, I think it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how, um, because we've kind of known about Codex for a while, I think I think I almost like forgot how crazy all of this is for like a little bit. And so it was really great to see everyone's reactions and like just um, be reminded of like just how incredible this is. I, I remember like, you know, like when we couldn't really talk about it, I was like, I can't wait until people know this exists. It's going to blow their minds. And I'm, I'm just glad we're finally at that point. Yeah. Abraham, uh, what, what, yeah. How, how did you find the event yesterday? Good. I mean, it, it was interesting to see um, how giddy they were of like, look how cool this is. Like they were geeking out. Right. And you kind of saw it on their faces. <laughs> um, yeah. And I forgot, like being personally, I've been so stressed because this has been homework for us of like how to come up with something cool in time for the launch. And you make something cool and you're just like, oh, that's not cool enough. And then you go on to the next thing. But then when you see people's reactions, who have never seen this before in their lives, they're like, oh no, they still think it's cool. All right, so I can relax. I, you know, so for one thing, I, I just thought they did a great job, like as an event, yeah. right? Like it was very professionally done. They had amazing audio. It was a great quality stream, right? Um, I felt it was significant because it's, it's the first real event that OpenAI has even done specifically for the developer community, right? Like at this scale, right? Yeah. I'm sure they had rehearsals. They had to come up with scripts. They practiced it endlessly, right? Because the crazy thing is when you're doing this kind of AI model, it can say anything at any time, <laughs> right? And so the fact that they had to practice even the AI part and the AI part could go wrong at any time and they still pulled it off was incredible. Um, I liked the stage, like it was all purple. It, it, it was, it looked futuristic, but it also had like a 1980s, like technicolor kind of vibe. Did you guys get that or no? I, I was definitely impressed by the setup. I was like, where did they go for that? Did they have that in the office? Because it was definitely a professional setup. For sure. They must, they must have booked like a TV studio or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah, they definitely went all out. I wouldn't be surprised if they hired like a production company or something. Yes. And, uh, I, of course they even changed the homepage, like in the, in the same way, Apple, when they're doing a product announcement, uh, they update the homepage to say, we have a big event coming. They open AI did the same. And my, I, I'm, I'm speculating here. I'm not an ambassador, but I just think internally within their organization, it took a lot of courage to put the developer related content on the homepage and not the research one. Right. Like, I, I think there's there's some sort of priority shift that had to change some sort of, you know, hard discussions. Right. Um, but I, I think it's it's really commendable because they really are putting the community and the developer culture first. Right. Um, and it's really exciting for us. We get these awesome products that are just so incredible. <laughs> right. So uh, what was what was your favorite demo, Yash? Yeah, I really like the Microsoft Word one uh, because I think it strikes a really great balance of being just technically impressive enough that developers can understand and also being cool enough that non-technical people can understand the value of it really, really clearly. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like as more and more demos and products like that pop up, I think that's really kind of like the sweet spot where people can really understand the universal appeal of Codex and just how big this thing is. So, so tell me, give me an example. So what would you be working on for school? Let's say, right. You, you may or may not be using Microsoft Word for school, but let's say you are. 
what would you be doing and how would OpenAI Codex help? Let's let's expand people's imagination. Like what, what's possible here? Yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, when you have any sort of batch job on a computer, I think as a programmer, you automatically go, I can automate this. I'll just write a script really quickly and make it happen. So like mm -hmm. the example they brought up was like getting rid of all of the spaces at the beginning of every line in a Microsoft Word file. But I think when you don't have um, as much of a programming background, you kind of just assume that this is just a bunch of manual work that's ahead of you, or you're going to have to do some really hacky workaround. And, and I think the idea here is now like you get non-programmers to start thinking about batching up their tasks and almost like scripting in a way um, mm. through Codex. And so whatever batch work that may be, maybe you want to like do some large processing on a bunch of Excel files or a bunch of text in a Word document, like anything you can think of. And I'm excited about, you know, non-programmers having that utility belt that programmers have had this whole time. Yes. Yes, yeah, Abron, what about you? What was your favorite demo yesterday? It was actually, um, I came across it on Twitter, was uh, having Codex do first grade math. Um, and he, uh, Greg shared, you know, giving it math problems and then showing how it uh, computates the problem and lays it out with like, for one example, it was, you know, Sam ate seven cookies and Jane ate two cookies. How many more cookies did uh, Sam eat than Jane? And you see the the code breakdown of like Sam underscore cookies equals seven, Jane underscore cookies equals two, Sam eight more equals you know five, and you know that has such I'm an ed tech guy, uh, so th this has huge potential for uh, for the ed tech space and just generating you know quizzes and tests for students and in, in on in real time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in I mean, in theory, you know, you you could integrate Microsoft Word and use it to conduct the tests, yeah. right? Uh, like in real time, and the AI would give them real feedback or something. Like that that's just something yeah, I'm imagining come now up with speaking to you guys. Question on the spot, right? Like question, evaluate the answer. Based on, okay, this person is, this person got the last question wrong. So let me create mm. and generate an easier question instead of looking for mm. one in the database. That's incredible. So I, uh, my favorite demo was definitely the game. I think I saw like, speaking of ed tech, I just saw the potential of kids discovering this is possible that you can make this 2d game and it just blows their mind. Yeah. Right. And let's, uh, you know, the, the key to a tech demo is, is obviously some kind of flex that your technology can do. Right. So the, the key flexes in that demo, which really blew me away coming from Greg and Ilya was, um, uh, make this four X bigger. And even other stuff, like I couldn't believe they're like, when this goes off screen, wrap it and make it go back to the other side, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it was incredible. And I think there are definitely these highlights and memes that come out of every OpenAI announcement. So for DALI, uh, which is sort of, it, it generates images, if you don't know, it generates images with text. Uh, and uh, the avocado chair was like the biggest meme, Yeah. right? And I, I just think from this event that that boulder falling on the guy, like, I mean, on one hand, it's a meme, but I also think it's just iconic, right? I, I think it's, I think, you know, this is a demo that we will be revisiting in 10 years, like almost like the Steve Jobs demo of the iPhone in 2008. I, I uh, you know, me, me and Abron remember, I, I don't quite know about da Yash, if, <laughs> if he remembers the iPhone, but did you guys get that similar vibe? Like I, my, my sort of my next podcast episode, I, I'm going to be comparing, um, opening eye to Apple uh, in, in, in terms of their influence and impact in the tech industry. Did you guys feel like it was up there 
I mean, I, I feel it for myself, but I always struggle when I try and convey that excitement to other people who don't get it. You know what I mean? Everyone gets what a phone yeah. is and does. Not everyone gets mm. this, even folks that are, you know, that I know in the space, that in the tech space, they're like, wait, so what does it do again? And I'm like, they, they're just not seeing enough clear examples of like, oh, wow, this is a game changer, you know? Yeah, I wasn't, as you kind of mentioned, like the iPhone coming out was a little bit before my time. So I, I'm not sure what the initial public response to that was. Was it like clearly obvious to them right away that this is like the next big thing? Was it like a slower rollout? But I do feel like um, where we're at with Codex right now, I think what excites me the most is I, I genuinely have no idea what sort of amazing things people are going to come up with when they get their hands on it. You know, like uh, we've been working really hard coming up with a bunch of demos, but it's just like five of us and we already have so much variation in the types of things we're tackling. You mm. know, when you multiply that by such a huge amount, I just feel like who knows what we'll have in a month. I'm sure there'll be things that none of us thought of that'll be like completely incredible. And that's what I'm really, really excited about. Um, and I think that's what's going to kind of get like the ball rolling. Right. So, so you view it as, uh, so what I'm hearing is, uh, we can see the potential we're hyped about it just from the conference, but perhaps once it's released and people start finding use cases, a lot like GPT three, that's when it will cross some threshold where more people will get it and be excited about it. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that's how it would happen if it ends up going similar to the GPT three rollout, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so how are you guys finding it? I mean, we, we all had access early. Uh, how are you finding Codex uh, so far? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, just like GPT-3, it has personality that I feel like you need to learn its, its, its quirks, its tendencies, uh, what it likes, what it doesn't like, um, what it knows out the gate versus what you need to kind of like prep it to know. Um, so there's a bit of yeah. a learning curve there. There's definitely something zero shot that it can do really well. Um, but mm. I think a lot of people stayed in that space when they got access to GPT-3. It was like, oh, let me see what it can do zero shot or single shot just to impress myself. Yeah. I'm like, are you trying to impress yes. yourself or are you trying to actually make something with this? Right? <laughs> because if you're yeah. trying to make something, get your hands dirty, go in there and kind of like spend you know all nighters trying to like push it to do something that maybe most people don't know that it can do uh that's where i kind of sit like all right well what is everyone not demoing what is everyone not thinking of and that takes a bit more yeah. so so let me just interrupt you real quick so for people who don't know so bronze saying zero shot zero shot basically means you try to get gpt3 to do something without even giving it an example like just out the gate it you try to get it and uh, one of the things I've learned from Abron is, you know, he's mentioned to me, like, you, you should try to avoid ever doing anything zero shot or even one shot. You should always do few shot. Like, it's it's way safer. The You know, GPT-3 is a lot more predictable. And it's it's almost unfair to GPT-3 to evaluate it without examples. Um, so, sorry to interrupt you, Abron. I just, I wanted to just uh, yeah. expand on that a little bit for people who don't know. Um, uh, Yash, what about you? How, how did you find it? Yeah, I think I, I kind of started from a bit more of like a uh, like a gradual ramp up, you know, like, as you mentioned, I'm a student, I'm single. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then from there, it, it kind of like went a little bit above that, like, you know, what are some more 
as a brand mentioned, like what are some demos that people aren't tackling? What are some technology spaces that people aren't really looking into? And some things that I really ended up playing around with in the end were like yeah. stuff with web, web AR with video processing and sort of things like that. Um, and I, I think there's still so much left to be explored. Uh, and I'm still continuously like hacking on stuff and trying to see what I can come up with. That's awesome, Yash. I remember at the Clubhouse event, you, you mentioned like, you know, AR is an area that you really find interesting, um, where there, you, you see a lot of potential. Yes? Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I mean, the way I found early access, I, I, I for one thing, I do feel OpenAI Codex is a lot safer. Like, I, I did not see it at all go off the rails. It's almost like it's got the personality of a very serious coder who's only here to write code. <laughs> and is not here to like have a chat with you. <laughs> I don't know if you guys felt the same way. Yeah, well, GPT-3 is still there. It's still there. If you, if you give it the right prompt, uh, it'll rear its head. So when I was asking it to, I also tried some EdTech stuff. So when I was asking it to come up with some uh, questions, right? I'm like, right, create a multiple choice question. Create. I was pushing on assessment types. So we know multiple choice, true, false, fill in the blank, or like the standard ones. Some of the more mm -hmm. complex ones I try to push it are called SJT, situational judgment tests. Like if you're in this scenario, order these four possible outcomes in, in priority. So I said, you know, create yep. a situational judgment test to test someone's survival skills in a zombie apocalypse. And it yep. created the scenarios of a zombie apocalypse on its own. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, without me providing it that content. But so, but what I'm saying is with Codex, like it's, it doesn't know a single joke. Like it's, it's not like GPT-3. Like it, it is very serious. Did, did you guys notice that? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I asked it to create a test on uh zombie apocalypse, right? So oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This was, this was Codex. Yeah, yeah, this was yeah. Codex. You asked not, not nope. GPT-3. Okay. Yeah, okay. So this is Codex. And uh, sorry. So the way it reacted, it actually, it actually came up with that? Yeah, or no? it came up with the content for the question. Well, the difference okay. between GPT-3 yeah. and Codex is that Codex hmm. actually created the uh, the online form to populate the, the, the multiple choice questions, <laughs> like in not just text format, but in actual online hmm. quiz format. I see. How were the questions, though? That, that's what I'm wondering. Are they as fun as GPT-3, or are they still very curt kind of questions and answers i mean this is getting in the weeds but as far as like temperatures since we talk in temperatures for 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 creativity which yeah three it's probably at a like a yeah for you know, 0.3 to 0.5 which is on lower on the scale yeah okay what about you yash like are you finding it's it's like more serious uh yeah i i guess i kind of jumping off the theme of ed tech uh the way i've kind of been using Codex as a workflow tool for school is it kind of automates the whole process of like Googling specific syntax questions and like trying to find the best answer on Stack Overflow, which yeah. is really useful whenever I work on um, like just learning any content for school, specifically related to programming. And mm -hmm. what I found was like, um, I, I would agree that it tends to be a little bit more serious, but I don't know, it, it has jokes sometimes, whether it's yeah. unintentionally or intentionally funny is up to interpretation. Yeah. Um, but it can definitely throw out some really interesting responses. Something that I like is uh, that you can play around with once you have access is you can get it to, instead of generate code for you, ge start generating a bunch of comments for like a readme file that give you instructions on how to write the code that you were interested in. Uh, yes. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and so, yeah, I think 
there's it's definitely more serious than GPT three, but you can have fun with it if you like. See, I almost I almost feel like the the seriousness is a result as a is a result of fine tuning, right? Like they they've I I believe it's it's pretty safe because they've fine tuned it well. Um, and that's why it tries to just stick to business, which is writing code, which is what we want anyways, right? But in theory, you know, I'd love to see more use cases combining both GPT-3 and Codex, right? Like it should be like a workflow where GPT-3 writes the copy and then that copy is sent over to Codex and then Codex writes the code. That'd be pretty interesting, right? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that I want to do, um, so I have... I have an approved app. We still haven't launched yet. We're still in the final stages of, of releasing the, the beta called Hustle Maker, where we got GPT-3 to generate uh, startup <laughs> ideas, right? It's an idea generator for startup ideas based on your interests, uh, your, either your experience or your interests, just keywords, things that you like to do, um, your passions. So taking that startup idea generated by GPT-3 and then feeding that idea that website idea to Codex to see what the output Let's go. to right now. Yes. The build is definitely already there in some aspects. So I'm also, you know, reaching out to Sharif to like, why reinvent the wheel? If there's a way for us to partner, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. there's definitely ways that we're thinking about like taking it to that next step by having the, a good marriage yes. between GP and Codex. Dude, imagine like all three, man. Like you got Dally coming in. Yeah. You got like it's like the it's the crew, man. This is the crew. Like you got semantic search on top of Yeah. I mean, Ooh. it's our fault for not being more articulate about how crazy this is when we explain it to people because they're like, what are you working on? I'm like, it's up at like it's just crazy. And they're like, So well, it's crazy to you. So so this is kind of funny, right? So have you found it's hard to explain what open AI codex even is? Like I said in my previous podcast, like I've even been calling it GPT-3 for code, which is so funny because if you don't know what GPT-3 is, you're like really lost, right? But I just, I think there's something about, it's hard to explain and it's it's so far ahead of what everyone thinks is possible today, right? Like when I tell ordinary people like, you know, GPT-3 can write press releases, when I show them the avocado chair that Dali came up with, like they are in shock that this is possible today, no gimmicks, right? Like it's not like typical tech overstatements, right? Uh, how are you guys finding, like just explaining what it even is to people? Man, I don't know about and you, like, Yash, but I suck at barbecues now. Like anytime I'm <laughs> I'm at a cookout <laughs> trying to explain to people the AI work I'm doing, I'm like, I lose the crowd. Instantly. Yeah, man, me too. But I think, I don't know. The, the magic with Codex is that like, it, I agree, it's like a little harder to explain, but if you pick the right demo, it's really easy to demonstrate just why it's so powerful. And I think most people can yep. kind of get it. Um, and I think like, that's something that I was really focused on, sort of like leading up to the rollout of this thing was like, how can we find demos that sort of hit that sweet spot where everyone can kind of understand? Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I, what I'm most excited about with Codex is, you know, like I'm definitely excited as a more technical person about all the ways we can improve my workflow, but I also just want to see what happens when non-technical people with like a large variety of perspectives get access to this thing and start like hacking yep. away on stuff that they maybe couldn't before. Yes. Uh, and I think that's really important to me. So I, I, I yep. really hope we can figure out how to explain this in a way that makes I, sense. I want to underscore that because that's something me and Abron are, are very, we have real common ground about it. Like, you know, like it's just this idea that 
like I don't think for OpenAI products, the opportunity is just like typical Silicon Valley engineer developer kind of people. Like I think it's the non-technical people when they get access to this thing, that's when we'll see what's really possible, right? That's because they're so, uh, what's the word I'm working for? They have no pre-biases. Like they have no conception of the old generation of technology, the, the ways that I do, right? Like what I found is I can't even... I was biased towards OpenAI Codex because I was treating it like GPT-3. <laughs> so I had not even a technical bias of the past. I had the bias of the last language model, <laughs> right? Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, the, the non-technical, I agree with you is, and I'm, I'm sure, Ron, you're the same way, right? Like I, the opportunity yeah. is far greater for people who are non-technical. Well, I right? think our technical community is just too niche for it to truly go viral just within our own community. I think for this to really go viral, it has to strike a chord with the non-technical community to be like, oh, okay, I get it now, right? Like, look at this thing. I mean, I'm on TikTok. That's what I see on TikTok too. Like, I follow a lot of the I follow a lot of the AI talk creators where there's a lot of people posting a lot of AI automation tools on TikTok, and it's doing something magical. It's Leisha's talking heads, or it's you know, copy AI. It's doing something that people think like, wow, how is that even possible? So, you know, as soon as some of these demos that, that we created or that Greg or McKay or, or even Sharif created go, you know, into these, you know, social interwebs, you'll, you'll start to see people start to get it. Yes. So real quick, I'll share some experiments I ran quickly. So I, I wrote like solving climate change with code. <laughs> like I tried to get it to come up with code that would solve climate change. Obviously, like it didn't, it didn't do that, right? Like it, it, when it doesn't know, I feel like it just prints out whatever you asked it and shows it back to you. No, well, sometimes right? with something is, is, cause I try that all the time. Something with simple as that, it'll say, it'll give you a, a splash page, climate change on the top. And it's like, enter your problem here with a submit button, right? So it'll still give you, okay. yeah, you know, yeah, something yeah. you got to do the right. I see. So obviously, like I try my got- impact stuff. So I've tried, you know, mm. uh, a database for, uh, grading or rating your landlord, right? And mm-hmm. it created something and it said, you know, enter, you know, your rating here for your landlord mm-hmm. and press submit, right? It needs obviously more mm-hmm. information, uh, but it's trying at least. I, I definitely think it's now that I hear you say it, it's because I was in Python. I, I, I hadn't even realized I need to switch away from Python and get like a web page going, then it'll give me at least a, a landing page yeah. for whatever I asked. It. Yes, correct. <laughs> right. I got it to try to generate a money mo- making program as if it was written by Elon Musk. It did not do that, unfortunately. Um, I also tried to get it to repeat the secret KFC recipe. No, no dice. <laughs> and then I tried to get it to write code in the, st- in the style of Linus Travolts, but it didn't do that either. Did you um, give it any I was wondering. Lines? No, that's my fault, right? I, I try to go zero shot. I should know better. And in fact, I was in Python. I don't even think Linus writes in Python. I got it to do Mel, which is the language behind the 3D platform Maya. But I gave it, mm-hmm. uh, I got it to create polygon shapes, 3D polygon shapes. Yes. That uh, me and yes. my 3D engineer, he had Maya open. So I'm like, all right, give me what a triangle is in Mel. And then I said, all right, give me a sphere and give me a helix. And it gave me mm-hmm. a dozen different shapes, polygon shapes in Mel. And I gave it to him. I said, all right, mm-hmm. now run it in Maya and see what we got. And we got an amazing 3D helix and amazing 3D pyramid. 
but we we did start yes. by giving it you know at least one line hmm. i see yes i i can't believe i'm making the same mistakes of the past <laughs> like i should know better <laughs> I, I I tried to I, I did similar results. So Blender, the three D program, you know, yes. has Python built in, right? And uh, it did okay. Yeah. It did okay. And of course, it, I don't know how formally it was trained on that kind of stuff, right? So it's it's just incredible. Um. So let's let's transition a little bit here. So I'm checking my notes. Um. You mentioned this idea of zero code, uh, generation, zero shot code generation. So uh. Yash, how do you feel? How far are we? How close are we? Uh, do you think that's the dream, or do you do you think the way it is even now is like obviously it is very compelling? But like, wh what are your thoughts on zero shot code generation? I think it's possible depending on your use cases and also like the scope of the problem itself. If you're trying to write like I don't know reversal linked list, not to get too technical, uh, it it will definitely do that with zero shot. I think I think the other thing with zero shot as well is um, a lot of the use cases kind of end up being sort of codex is equivalent of like human in the loop with GPT three, where in um, you can do things really quickly with zero shot and then quickly review the code and then just iterate quickly like that, similar to sort of like the workflow with GitHub Copilot. And I think zero shot has like a really great place there. And then you know for the right use cases, if you can make it work, you know zero shot is always. The way to go if you can get that to do what you want yeah that well they mentioned in, in the conference that they have a, a sort of a test benchmark right and it's I, I believe a series of coding problems right and they were saying it has a 37 percent groundbreaking accuracy right um i i listen i i would love though that you know it's a benchmark for zero shot everything like an entire web app like an entire game you know what i mean like no human in the loop what, what do you think of Ron? Um, I mean, people get scared when you say no human in the loop. So, you know, that's where Skynet mm -hmm. uh, starts to ring in everyone's ears. Um, yeah. Even with Clara. So uh, for your audience, they don't know that I run a, an AI virtual being um, named Clara, who um, is powered by GPT-3. Um, but when and now she's kind of like taking on a role as like a virtual public speaker and an influencer, like she tours colleges and speaks to students. Um, but even in that setup, technically we do have the ability for the audience to speak directly to her through, you know, S uh, speech recognition, uh, TTS, you know, wake words where they can say, Hey, Clara, uh, to get her to activate, but we're not really allowed to, nor do I want to, because I don't know what she's going to say. So I have, the response come out where I can see it first, I screen the response and then let, you know, if I approve the response and let her speak back to the audience, it kind of adds a latency to the live experience, but it's an important one. And I imagine that the same thing with this, like you don't know what it's going to generate. Uh, it could, uh, as we call it in the opening act community, it could hallucinate. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly, I, I, I agree. And I also disagree with you. Like, I think the fine tuning on codex is very well done. Like, I actually think you could let far more people into OpenAI codex that, that beta program than GPT-3. Um, and also Greg was saying in the, in the, in the conference that he's excited because codex may be used to make real decisions, mm -hmm. right? Uh, for all of these computer programs. So 
I don't quite know if they'll value human in the loop as much. I think um, the temperature is we'll a big see. test of that. I think because there isn't a temperature mm. gauge, we could really make it oh, think see. out the box and, and get Got creative. It. That yeah, I yeah. think it's it's going to be easier to regulate for sure and keep keep within the guardrails than GPT three. GPT three, when you set yeah. that temperature all the way up, can get kind of crazy. Yeah. So, uh, Yash, you briefly mentioned GitHub Copilot, and I just I want to ask you, like, as a programmer, how did you find it? How did you find that? Not necessarily OpenAI Codex, even though it's powered by OpenAI Codex. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, to be honest, I haven't spent a ton, ton, ton of time using it. I've kind of just been in the Codex playground, to be honest. But um, okay, in in the in the little bit that I have used it, and from like speaking with people who have, I think it's like a really, really great productivity tool, and uh, you could kind of like batch programming into two distinct types of work. There's like the fun, creative type of programming, and then there's like some of the more tedious setup type things. And I'm really glad that it makes that second category like a lot faster because it just makes everything more fun. And if, you know, work is just a little bit more fun than like you, you'll take that any day of the week, you know? Yeah. What about you, Bron? Did you, did you get a chance to try GitHub Copilot? No. So just for, tra for transparency, I don't necessarily code myself. So I don't okay. belong in GitHub. Um, not with my current skill set. Right? I leave that to the technical guys on my team. So that's this right. allows me, uh, with the playground that's provided by Codex, to stay non-technical, write in natural language. But from what I'm hearing from the rest of the ambassadors, um, the best way for your team to really grasp it is like Google autocomplete. So like if you're writing an email in Gmail and you see it kind of like complete that string for you, um, it seems like Copilot with the power of Codex is doing the exact same thing. Like as, as a programmer, I, I, I just, I found like, I'm willing to even put percentages on it. I would say currently GitHub Copilot is saving me anywhere from two to 5% of my time, right? Which is a insane achievement, right? And so that time is time I, I would have spent Googling. That's time I would have spent stack overflowing. <laughs> and also I, I just, I find like, I didn't even notice how much I type as a programmer and just having to type less. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, um, it's even helped me with like procrastination. Like sometimes I'll have to do some code writing and I just keep putting it off. Cause I'm like, even, even if like, even if it's an easy problem, I know how to solve it. You just get lazy. And I just, I think GitHub Copilot has made me less lazy cause it's already suggesting what I should put next. Yeah. Brian right? mentioned that where it's um, like the, the tediousness of coding is kind of like, you know, uh, supported with, with Copilot where, you know, it's going to learn your tendencies and it's going to learn, you know, kind of what I speak with GPT-3, like the okay, I get it moment where it's like, all right, I get what you're trying to do here. And especially if you're writing repeat strings, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up, you know, that side of it for you. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Bram is uh, also an OpenAI ambassador, you know, working on incredible demos. And I, I believe he's working on a startup right now, right? Which uh, is for code completion, right? Yeah. Is that correct? Yes, stenography. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So it just, just for the audience, because, because we all... <laughs> know each other right <laughs> so anyways uh get on copilot is exciting uh so i want to transition now so did you guys have any final thoughts anything from anything from github copilot OpenAI codex the conference how you're finding it uh i want to just give you guys the floor if you have any other thoughts and then i want to transition into some sort of deeper kind of discussions about coding yeah no go ahead shoot yeah you, you sure you got anything else nope uh, let's go. Let's move on. Okay. 
Okay. Um, so, um, let's get more nuanced here. So how do I explain this? So earlier on when I got access to GPT-3, I tried to get it to do authentication. So that means I tried to tell it, this is the only acceptable username and password, right? And don't let, ask somebody the password, but don't let them in if they give you the wrong password. Are you guys with me so far? Yep. And uh, what about you, Brian? You got, do you understand what I'm saying or no? <laughs> uh, I'll try and keep up. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'll try to, I'll try to regurgitate it in a simple way. So in, instead of writing it as code, like the logic to allow somebody access into a program where they have to enter a username and password, I tried to get GPT-3 through a prompt to manage it. I told it, this is the only acceptable password, right? And this is the only acceptable username, either accept or deny somebody based on uh, what they enter. And so what I found is it was not able to do this, right? But I'm on a high level, I think OpenAI Codex is a step backwards because in theory, um, we could have uh, GPT-3 prompts that are in English, right? And GPT-3's intelligence is the program. So you would have an API call to GPT-3 whenever a user is trying to authenticate, right? Instead of writing the code. Does that make sense? I don't know if that's too... Well, like... the, the part of it where you say that it doesn't do well with GPT-3, GPT-3 doesn't like rules, where Codex might like rules better, right? Like GPT-3... That's a great point. Uh, is, they say, like, non-deterministic. So... I, I create like subject matter expert chatbots with GPT-3 where I'm not creating Siri or Alexa, where every time I say, hey, Siri, I want it to answer in the same exact way every time. Where if you're speaking to a human expert about a particular knowledge-based topic, you don't want them to be repetitive with their answers. You want them to use nuance. You want them to use their expertise to give you the same yeah. answer 10 different ways if you ask it 10 different times. So yes. it's not going to stay within certain parameters the same way as maybe Codex might. But I haven't tried it with Codex, so I don't know. That's a great point about just GP3 is not good with rules. If So if it was good with rules, could you see, like, what's the point of writing code? Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure there necessarily even has to be like that distinction there because as okay. we kind of like alluded to before, you know, I, I think as apps get really, really complex, we're going to start seeing really, really cool stuff when people start combining these APIs together. So why mm -hmm. not send in a prompt to GPT-3 and then have it query Codex, for example? Like, yeah. You know, play around with stuff like that. Why not submit a prompt, do semantic search to see what's the best prompt, and then put it to GPT-3 and then have that query Codex? And you see, you see what I'm saying? Like, just kind of keep building like that. Um, because you're, you're right in saying that, you know, as... Like given natural language is just so complex and the number of things that people could potentially ask for is so broad, you'll probably need a lot of these systems to work together in order to kind of get there. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I'm saying, I guess I'm saying at some philosophical level, code is kind of reasoning, right? It's reasoning, it's a procedure, it's steps. And if GPT-3 could just understand those, we might not even need code anymore, right? But... I'm probably speaking like like 10 years in the future, right? Like today, you're absolutely right. Like it's just way easier. It makes way more sense to use the specialized systems for sure, right? Uh, 
anyways, how are you guys finding prompts? How is writing a GPT-3 prompt different from writing an OpenAI Codex prompt? And by the way, we don't we don't even know. Are we calling it prompts for Codex or is it something else? Now that's the same approach with, like I said, I, since I'm the, the one that's trying to stay within the non-technical side, I, I still take the natural language approach of, so just to give a broader context to your folks, GPT-3 introduced something called the instruct model. And I get a lot of calls from the developer community asking me what that is and why it's there and why it's better than non-instruct. It's because it really provides you a chance to give it really good instructions and context as to what exactly you want it to do, right? So, and I treat uh, Codex the same way. I always start with like really good instructions on this is exactly what I want you to do with this level of detail. I want you to add these elements, right? So if I'm making a splash page, I'll say, all right, this is what the title is going to be. I want it in dark mode. I want these fields. I want these categories. Go, right? Instead of just saying, make me a website, right? Like I try and give it as much context as possible. Yes. What about you, Yash? Yeah, I definitely second that. I think the learning curve is really, really similar to GPT-3. And it very much feels kind of like we're in the early days of GPT-3 where like, you know, we're discovering that if you make slight modifications to how you word a prompt, you can get completely different outputs or get like way better outputs. We're discovering like how zero shot can be effective in what cases and where, where few shot can kind of be effective. Uh, the only thing that's really changed is like the context and what's being output. Um, and yeah, so I, I personally found that the learning curve was very, very similar. I see. So I think yesterday I tweeted like, you know, the, the key to being a GPT-3 prompt designer is your imagination. And that's, that's my belief, right? Like, I think when I'm doing a GPT-3 prompt, the, my, the more imaginative I am, the more I'm like a writer, like a pure writer, the better outcomes I get, right? But I think with Codex, I still do need to have some nuances as a developer. And I don't think my imagination helps that much. <laughs> I think... Like my role, I see it more as breaking down, like, like Abron was saying, like, instead of saying, make me an app that's Uber, like, it's more like you need to tell it specific steps and evaluate the steps and review the code written, make sure it's what you want and modify it appropriately. Right. Um, but there is something as well, like GPT-3 kind of just gets it, whatever you're talking about with Codex, the actual computer language is really important, right? So Abron, you've worked with a team, you have developers, so you know what a header and footer and a nav bar even are, right? I'm a developer, I know all the different web components. Like, like you know, if you went up to an ordinary person and told them, do you know what a carousel is as a website, like what that component is, they have no clue what you're talking about, right? But I do, right? And so I, I just think I the way prompt prompts are different for Codex is you do need to know the language, I don't think your imagination matters that much and you need to be able to break down problems and modify things appropriately. And I also think like based on how like how you order the steps of what you want to happen that also matters as well. I don't know if that makes sense. What do you guys think? Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Uh, I think what's interesting about Codex um is and I guess we probably have like slightly different experiences with GPT-3, but I think with GPT-3, there is also an element of breaking problems down into sub problems and kind of chaining things together. 
That's a good point. So that's kind of what I mean yeah. uh, in terms of its parallels with Codex. And yeah, I, I do think that to some extent, having like a programming context can help you give specificity in your prompts in order to get like precisely what you want. But I, I also think that you can almost figure that out through experimentation if you really need to. And that's kind of where like the imaginative part comes in as well. I see. Okay. And now that I think about it, there is some imagination, right? Like when you're saying make it four times bigger, that's something a programmer would never think to say, right? But you just try it. Uh, and like, you know, like, like I mentioned it earlier, like when they said the highlight for me was when they said, make the, make the care, make the human in the game wrap around the screen. Like a programmer would, couldn't dream of ever writing that and they just wrote it. So you're right like maybe there's imagination or maybe i don't know like i just you can't have any preconceived notions in the same way with gpt3 you got to roll in and pretend you got to simultaneously pretend you know coding and simultaneously pretend you don't <laughs> because you might find out it can do things that as a coder you could have never dreamed it can do right um what sort of role do you see yourself abroad when you're using OpenAI codex what what, what do you what how do you see yourself um, I see myself as, as the same with GP as a, as a creative, I think, um, hmm. I'm not worried too much about trying to be technical. And now again, uh, what I can't do and what my roadblock has been is, um, testing the output, right? Like, you know, running the output and seeing the quality and seeing, um, if the, the validity and seeing if it even works. But they did give us mm -hmm. another uh, environment, this JavaScript environment, to run the code yes. in. Uh, so that's been helpful. Yeah. But before we had that, I was lost. I was like, "Yeah, I'm getting yeah, code here, but too. I don't know if this code works." Uh, See, I thought you guys, I thought you guys already had access to the JavaScript yeah. thing, and I got access to Codex, but not the JavaScript thing. When I saw the JavaScript sandbox in the conference, I was like, "I needed that all along." Yeah, <laughs> right. We got it like halfway through, and I was like, "Oh, thank God." Um, but then, okay. yeah, I, once it gave yeah. me the sandbox, then I was like, all right, now I can just stay creative, see how it comes back out. Oh, that didn't come out as good. Let me ask it in a different no, no. way, right? Yeah, yeah. Try it in a different way. No, no, sorry. I, correction. I think I did get it halfway through, but I honestly didn't click the invite. No, yeah. <laughs> it's my fault because I was like, I've already played with the API itself, like the raw thing. Like, why would I need the sandbox? But when I saw them using it themselves, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. This is brilliant. I don't know why I wasn't using it. <laughs> like, you know what? I think it's just code or ego. Like, it's like, why would I need a sandbox? But the coolest thing with <laughs> like, the sandbox seriously. is, uh, and I, I, I saw this with, with Greg, where like, you tell it to do something, right? You say, okay. Uh, like I made a, a splash page for like, you know, a STEM workshop thing called New Tech. I was like, all right, make the page. Cool. Make it in dark mm -hmm. mode. Great. Move mm -hmm. it. Move this field to the left. It does it like it un like it continues the thread of whatever you're describing it. Like, all right, now add this logo to the top right. Right. Make the font mm -hmm. smaller. Uh, you don't have to delete mm -hmm. anything. You're just continuing the instructions and it's, you know, making the adjustments in real time right along with you. And this is incredible, right? Like this is like, I can't believe any of this is possible in 2021. Can it, you guys believe? Was like, it you and Brand that made that voice activated? And I was like, oh, you guys are just showing off now. I, 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 one of my pet peeves is when developers tell me GPT-3 and all this stuff is overhyped. And I'm like, you have no idea. It is underhyped. If anything, if anything, it's underhyped. Right. Like if you had told 
me five years ago, any of this would be possible. I, I wouldn't have believed you. Seriously. Seriously. I, like, I, it's incredible, right? We take it for granted, don't you think? I definitely agree. I remember trying to set up like Q&A NLP bots, like even like one or two years before GPT-3 came out, not nearly as good in terms of performance. Um, and I think it, it just makes me really excited for, you know, I, I feel like it's gotten to the point where like every year something is coming out where I'm like, I did not expect this to be here this early, but it is. Um, and it just makes me excited to see like how far this is going to go. <laughs> you know, I have no idea. Listen, yeah, something crazy in six months. And I would not even be surprised anymore. You're so lucky you're in school right now because like I like I program for a living. <laughs> Right. So you'll have like, how many years do you have left? Like two or three? In school, yeah. So you have some time to course correct if programming gets <laughs> completely automated, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so, uh, that was awesome. So I wanted to, uh, tell you. So there's two different topics. Which ones do you guys want to go first? So first, I want to talk about near term implications of codex, things that I can foresee. And the second topic is just my personal journey with programming. So which one do you guys want to do first? Um, yeah, we could talk about your journey. We'd like to hear more about your journey. Let's talk about you, Vax. <laughs> I mean it because it's, it's not just my journey, but I think it's more like the journey I think every developer will go through by using Codex, like for real. Um, for one thing, I'm starting to appreciate ever since I even started using GitHub Copilot that I actually feel I'm limiting myself by coding. Like I, I feel like my potential is greater than writing code. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. Uh, well, I don't know if uh, if me and Yash are going to get into the same debate as uh, as me and Bram did. We got into uh, Yash. Me and Bram got into a little debate around the importance of coding versus using tools like this and are 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 people going to it came up yesterday we, we did a talk yesterday and someone asked like well i'm just starting out should i keep on this path now with stuff like this or should i you know kind of like deviate from this path um i think we're all in agreement that like this is just going to be a tool to enhance you whether you know code or not but i don't yeah. feel more compelled to learn how to code with a tool like codex because i feel like this will become its own skill the same way I feel like GPT-3 is be now becoming its own skill and no code developers that know Bubble and Webflow are now being hired to do Bubble and Webflow, not to do anything else. So I think it's, this is interesting enough and, it, and it's unique enough and powerful enough where if you're just a codex specialist, that, that should be good enough to get you in the door. Mm. I don't, wait, actually, I guess maybe to just like, flushed us out. What was, what was Bram's counter to that? Um, he feels like you, well, he's, he's a, he's an, an expert coder. So, you know, I, I don't want to just write him off as just like a purist or a traditionalist, but there's so much more that he sees that you can do if you don't expedite the expertise through automation and you just, just buckle down and learn it. You know what I mean? Like I think he and Andrew, who's another, you know, uh, who's actually from OpenAI. I think they're both in the camp of like, Abe, just learn how to freaking code. Like you, you can do so much if you knew how to code, but you're almost standing on that hill out of principle um, instead of just buckling down and just adding that to your skill set. Right. I 
think I would kind of agree with them just because I feel like, yes, I understand that Codex kind of like enhances your skills and lets you do a lot of, get away with a lot of things without having to write code. But there's something to be said about like understanding or having even like a general understanding of like briefly what's going on under the hood and the amount of power that that kind of gives you. Um, specifically, not it doesn't even necessarily have to be about like to make sure that I know what I'm generating is completely accurate. Also, just like understanding the scope of what is possible. Um, I think it could be like useful. I, I, I'm not saying by any means you have to be, become like this programming expert who's like writing everything in assembly or anything, but just, you know, like I think having general context around there can definitely help. And especially, you know, like kind of like Bax kind of alluded to it, like having a programming understanding even helps with like prompt design. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, dive into a, li a little bit, I guess, at least I think it can definitely help. Um, yeah. I, I guess I guess what I what I mean is I'm sort of speaking from the heart here is I got into programming when I was 10 years old because I love creating stuff. That's my real passion, right? And seeing GitHub Copilot write a lot of that code for me. I mean, if I was face to face with somebody and they said it could write 80, 90% of the code, meaning whatever you do for a living, you don't need to do anymore. To be honest, I think I'm okay with it at this point. Like I I, if I love to create things, code is just a means of creating, right? Um, but if the goal is creating, then I will happily let an AI system write the code for me. And it was just, it's just hard for me to like come to terms with that. Like that's what I do for a living. And I, 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 I do, I've enjoyed it for so much of my life, right? It's my skill. But at the same time, it's, it's not necessarily who I am and it's not necessarily who I set out to be. And, I like I tweeted like two weeks ago, like have I I tweeted something like, have I always been an artist? Like like an artist pretending to be a technologist, right? Is that really my spirit and my soul? And I wonder how many people in programming are like that. How many of people in programming just got into it because they like making cool stuff, right? And it's not necessarily they like programming, they just sort of fell into it. Uh like what do you think? Is is there something there to the spirit of of of, of Codex which affects your spirit as a programmer? That's a really interesting one. And it's definitely a conversation I've had with a few other people as well. I feel like, you know, when, when you say that coding is just kind of like a means to being creative, you can, you can definitely extend that to any discipline, right? Like, why are you practicing scales on a piano so that eventually you can make music? Why are you learning React so that eventually you can make web apps? And I think, you know, if, if you can make those tools easier for yourself, um, that's, that's great because ultimately the value is in what you can come up with and how effectively you can design it. It doesn't matter how you get there. Um, mm. And, you know, I think we're still so early in Codex that, you know, it's kind of yet to be seen to what extent that can happen. But, yep. it, it, you know, I think a lot of programmers kind of see themselves as creatives and they, especially hobbyist ones, just start off by like, just because they like making things. Yeah. And if you can just make those things quicker, I don't, I, I don't think the value of a programmer who thinks of themselves in that way was the ability to sort of like write code in the first place. It's, it has always been what you can come up with and the code is just like a means to an end. Um, and so it, if like, that's the perspective you're coming from, I don't even think it really matters. Like however you want to do it is fine. Really. My, my, uh, my stance is that um, if you are, even if you're a Yash or a Bram and someone gives us tomorrow, like, or gives them $10 million, like a, you know, seed round or a series A to take off with their startup. Uh, they're not going to do all the coding. 
anymore, right? They're gonna have to use that money to like build out a team to execute on their vision, right? And they're gonna have to take on more of the the leadership role, the biz dev role, the the operational role. So you're gonna have to hand off the actual, you know, work, the development. Hang the gloves. You know, soon. You're gonna put the gloves yeah, out. Exactly. And and uh, yeah. you have to like more steer the ship, right? So in Create Labs, mm-hmm. I, I do more of steering the ship already where I took on GPT-3 because I enjoyed it and I had a passion for it instead of just getting someone on my team to do that work. And if, and it, because I'm trying to be a problem solver. So if I'm trying to present this tool to other problem solvers, right? If you are a brain surgeon and I'm like, look, you could do some really interesting things with Codex for brain surgery. I'm not going to say, well, you should probably spend a six months to a year to learn Python first before you touch Codex. I'm going to try and show them ways where they can use their brain surgery, you know, their surgeon expertise with Codex, um, even if they're non-technical, to see what they can get out of it. Um, so if we, if we want more non-technical people who are problem solvers and experts in their field to use these tools to help the, these tools scale for them, then we can't say that the, you know, the price of admission is you got to do a boot camp first to, to learn how to code. I agree with you, but I would also add, not as like a counterpoint, but just like additionally, there is something to be said about having engineering, you can call it engineering excellence as being a competitive advantage to an extent. And I think Bram is a really good example of that. Like, I think the reason stenography is so cool is because it's legitimately really, really well built. And like Bram put a lot of thought into like how best to design that. Um, And that does come from like understanding the craft of you don't even, it doesn't even have to, you can call it programming, you can call it codex prompt design, but just like understanding how to make things for computers. Um, and, you know, I think both schools of thought are right. It's just who you are as a person and like how you think. And that's kind of like what translates that. Every open AI product is existentially challenging for me. <laughs> like when they announced open AI codex, I had to go for a bike ride, <laughs> like for like an hour and a half, two hours, <laughs> just to, just to process. And I think I, I tweeted something like that. I think I wrote like every time OpenAI announces a product, it is like I I, I really need time to process. <laughs> so this like... happens. I've seen this happen in in other fields. So with DJ, really, DJs went through mm-hmm. this process, right? So I know a lot of DJs because I came up in like the the music and entertainment and like the hip hop world, where the purists were like, "Oh, look at these guys! They're not real mm-hmm. DJs. They use Serato, right? They just walk around with a laptop." They don't walk around with carts and carts and, and, and crates of vinyl records, right? But then after a while, those DJs were like, man, these crates are getting fucking heavy, right? So like, yeah. they were like, it's so much easier to just walk around with a laptop than it is actual vinyl. So I see. I'm still a DJ. You know, it's not belittling my crafts. And I'm probably going to use Serato a little differently than someone who just started out DJing on Serato without starting with vinyl Mm. first. But now you Mm. see that traditional DJs that still use vinyl do it in certain settings Mm. when they still want to exercise that skill. But if they're just getting booked for like a wedding, they're not bringing crates and crates of vinyl. They're just bringing, you know, uh, a laptop to to do that gig. So now they see it as another tool in their arsenal and like 50% of the time they're using Serato and the other 50% they're doing uh, vinyl. So this is why it's so good to have you here, Abron. Like you actually have some wisdom to bring to the table, 
right? Like you've seen some stuff. Like you lived <laughs> an actual I'm life, old, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, but I just, I guess what I mean is in the tech industry, like, I don't know, like nothing really impresses me a lot of the time. Like I honestly, I tweeted today, like every phone is unimpressive. I wrote something like that. Like they've just given up on innovating. Like every phone, it's the same, same thing, a little bit different every year. And it's like, they've given up. It's like, they've forgotten the identity and soul of the tech industry. But opening eye, like, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, like, I think it's the apple of our time. I just, everything they do is a world earth shattering event for me. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> and it's unique in the tech industry. I feel there's not a lot of companies that make things that are this exciting, that have this many implications for everybody. Yeah. I'm just grateful. I'm, I'm grateful to, to being in the crew. Um, you know, we really, uh, we get along and we, we have a good chemistry. And even yesterday when we did our talk, like there are definitely certain questions that I couldn't answer that, you know, I kicked over to Yash and, and Russ and Bram and, you know, um, mm. I just think we, we feed off of each other with ideas and, uh, you know, what, we, what talk is this? Was this an event? Uh, we just did a, uh, I did a club, uh, tech talks with, uh, Chris Chang on clubhouse. Uh, oh, cool. So we just did a talk with, with tech talks, uh, yesterday word, but, um, word. you know, like I'll have an idea. Someone else will have an idea. I'll bounce an idea off of you. Um, you know, uh, Bax, I had some great talks with your friend from all like, there's others in the community yeah, yeah. where like we found our people. You know what I mean? Like we all found our yeah, we found yeah. our people where we all understand a, a certain technology, and we're all trying to help each other. You know, get better at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think something really interesting I discovered around when GPT three was kind of new was like I was able to get the coolest ideas when I showed it to my friends who were the most different from me in terms of like their life experiences and sort of like their profession, because they were able to like point out things that I had never even considered as like things to try. And I think the group that we kind of have uh, gives me a similar vibe because everyone has such a different background that comes from so many different perspectives. And like to kind of circling back to that point about getting non-technical people access to codex or like access to writing code. I think that is the crux of it is like, I honestly have no idea what will come out of it, but I'm sure it'll be something really different that I never thought of, but it'll be really, really cool. Um, and I think we've kind of found like a way to sort of make that chemistry work here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and definitely the, the community is, is unlike any other community I've ever been a part of. Right. Like I, I think there's so many people with so many interests, so many backgrounds, like it's not like a hive mind, you know? Um, so much, I love just communities that are very interdisciplinary. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, artists and programmers, you know what I mean? Scientists, um, stuff like that. Uh, I want to like, I hmm? I mean, I, I see it as a challenge. Like even now, like as we're talking, I'm seeing Greg Hmm. throw up, you know, the, the co-founder of OpenAI. he's just throwing up more and more demos. Of like, damn, other yeah. people in the community making out these crazy demos, and I see their demos like, oh, now nah, yeah. I need to get back into the lab because, like, not that they're making yeah. demos better than mine, but mm. like, it's just a challenge. Yeah. Like, oh, they made that. Well, now I want to make this. The bar is yeah. let's let's raise this bar. Let's, yeah, yeah, of course, it's collaborative. This is this is this is a creative scene. Like, I honestly, I think this is history here. Like, like, there's all these people. Like, it's people. This is this is people jumping in the dance circle. That's what this is. Right. Um, 
So I wanted to, there's just one other point talking about programming, and then we can talk about near-term implications. I personally believe coding as we do it now is heavily shaped by human limitations. So for example, like our need to break stuff down into smaller problems, a typical program will have a, a typical like website backend will have like a utils.py file where you put all your utilities, having to name stuff in functions, even having to use variables. These are things we write code. These are things we need for ourselves. Does that make sense? Um, but AI could theoretically fit an entire web application in its memory, right? And so I think long-term, if, if we're talking about research and the nature of programming, I am interested in coding that doesn't look like a human wrote it. I'm interested in coding that it, like an AI specific kind of coding, something that AI is, it's interpretable only to AI. Um, because there's no reason for AI to write human like code. <laughs> Does that make sense? Not really. <laughs> your... I definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah. I just think like that human in the loop thing is still a pretty important part of it right now. But I can see what you're saying like long, long term, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like uh, it's going to be human in the loop for a while. <laughs> I think so. And we need to find it. Dude, we need to find another word for all of this stuff. Human in the loop, like, I think that should just be a GPT-3 thing. This is just like a developer cooking. Like, this is just like the process. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, likewise, I don't think it's a prompt. And, you know, I I made a whole podcast episode about why I hate the term prompt engineering. I've been very vocal about it. <laughs> and maybe we should come up with another word for it, like for, for codex kind of prompts. Like, I don't know. We, we, could, we, could, it could, be, we could call them Elias. Like, we could do whatever we want, <laughs> right? Like... Uh, and maybe there should be some distinction, right, between a GPT-3 prompt and an OpenAI Codex prompt. Uh, certainly, GPT-3 is nowhere near as real-time as the sandbox can be, right? Um, just uh, just putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. So what are some near-term implications you guys can see from Codex? Um, and I, and I, and I mean, not, not necessarily on the social humanity side, like a lot of non-technical people. I mean, like even from like a, like I'm saying as a developer, what are some near-term implications you can foresee that it could mean for the developer or for the code base? Um, I'm, yeah, yeah, if you go first. Sorry, go yeah, I mean, the obvious one is, you know, with stuff like Copilot, you probably have to write out less code in order to get to where you want as a developer. I think some of the more non-obvious ones are once we get non-technical people access to this thing and like sort of set up and onboarded, we'll find like new use cases. Like, okay, what I'm kind of getting at here is like when you're sort of new to programming and you're kind of getting into it, there's like this small subset of like really, really common side projects that people sort of try as like their first project, like whether that's like a to-do list app or like a calendar app or like whatever. And what I'm interested in seeing is when we give non-technical people access to Codex, what are like the clusters of projects that they're inclined to build first? And what are they inclined to build? And like, what is the like hello world or the to-do list of the non-technical programmer using Codex? And that's, yes. that's going to be really cool. Thousand percent. And by the way, for a non-technical programmer watching the conference, they don't even know what hello world is. <laughs> and they led with that. Right. And by the way, if you've ever done a hello world demo to somebody who doesn't know anything about programming, they're always like, what's the big deal? <laughs> 
right? Like it's you just read text back. But yeah, and and so what do you think it could be? What do you, what do you think will be like the the starter projects? I my my hunch is games. I just think people will will make games. That's something fun that anybody can understand that they can't believe, and it sort of gives them a taste of coding. Yeah, I think the things that I, I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the things that I'm trying to work on are, are uh, in the rapid prototyping space, where you're seeing more tools, AI tools come out. Um, just some that that come to mind. Uh, there's one called. Uh, UI Zerd, like wizard, but spelled U-I-Z-A-R-D, where you can submit a paper sketch. You can scan a paper sketch and it turns it into a like a mock-up, um, where I think this can definitely help in the, the mock-up space of like getting your idea to generate in that sandbox and then sharing that sandbox generation along with the code that was used to generate that mock-up to a developer yep. to kind of pick up where you left off and get yep. your vision down on paper. Um, and then yep. in the 3D space, so I did a that Maya demo was actually a way to try and get, you know, my kids play Roblox. And for people who know environments like Roblox and Minecraft, like those are user-generated environments, levels, not just the characters, where if there's a way that they can use natural language to just create a level in Roblox, Right by being able to speak the the objects into existence, like create a platform here, you know, add a you know sphere here, just to create an obstacle course. That just for the metaverse alone, you could speak a an environment in the metaverse into existence. You can create a character just by a, a natural language description. There's a lot there. As soon as we figure out a way to connect it to 3D environments, it's going to be a big game changer. I see. I, uh, I do think, uh, like other starter projects, like, like I think you could make Stack Overflow. I think that would be like a great, maybe starting point. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe even like a review site. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you could make Airbnb maybe with Codex in like a day. That'd be like a cool tutorial kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? I also think there's just a lot of like smaller things at play here. Yeah will be people realizing that they're doing some manual work on a computer and they're like i should just automate this i don't have to do this anymore yes and, like the more people we have start thinking that way like i think the better it is for the community yes and yeah i remember you telling me too like automation is something that you're just really excited about like like even with gpt3 you were really excited about it yeah for sure i i just really like the idea of um I don't know. That's what programming is, right? Like we're just automating work for ourselves and like transcending that with GPT-3 to like real life is like, oh, great, even better. Less work for me. Yes. Um, so my list of near-term implications, did you guys have any more that you can foresee? No? Okay. Um, I, uh, I can definitely see less efficiency from uh, Codex written programs. And to be honest, I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, I think if, if you can just like use Codex and it makes your website, but it doesn't have, it's like a, like more lines than how it could be if a programmer wrote it by hand. Like, I, I don't care. How do you guys feel about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll let you take this one because I don't, 
I don't work in that space. I, I, I see more, like, there's so many implications beyond just the rapid, rapid prototyping and the 3D that I mentioned that I'm trying to work on every day, especially for ed tech and social impact that I think is, is going to be a tee up. But, you know, y'all can speak more on the, on the developer side. I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm a little unsure about that just because I don't really know how it's going to play out yet. But yep. to that point, we can just use Codex to make an educational tool that like helps you write better code or like understand um, things of that nature. And mm -hmm. maybe that can like help people like sort of understand better what's going on under the hood. But I I'm not too sure about um, if we can just like throw best practices out of the window just yet. <laughs> <laughs> The, th the thing is, man, like I think, I think tech is driven by speed. It's not just speed, but there's so many tickets and stuff that just needs to get done. Um, and by the way, uh, for a long time, like especially for desktop programming, they haven't cared about efficiency at all because they know RAM will just improve every year no matter what, right? So there are existing examples where stuff was thrown out the window. Um, and I, I, I mean, the trade-off is basically it's between efficiency and speed um and uh, look i'm not saying codex could couldn't write um great efficient code perhaps it can refactor code right i haven't even tried it that'd be really interesting right like imagine you gave it a whole program and it made it just fewer lines far more effective you know but until then i'm okay with the trade-off i can also see web design changing like if enough people use codex i can foresee essentially the attitude is you're draw you're putting in these lines of uh, instructions and all these components just get dropped in right like that's the attitude um i can see a new class of programmers that have this sort of drop-in component mentality which would change how a website looks um because uh they're not editing it in a code editor in the way that we used to in the past so i can see websites just looking different that's what i can that's that's one of my loose predictions <laughs> um and i guess the last point was just the real-timeness of codex especially the sandbox like i i it's just an experience i don't know how you guys found it but writing code in that thing is unlike right sorry writing the instructions and it writes the code for you is unlike anything you've ever experienced is that correct Oh, oh yeah i remember in our first meeting when we first got access to the sandbox we kind of got it halfway through the meeting and you could kind of tell that as soon as everyone got that link everyone was kind of half paying attention Nobody to the rest of the was we were all just attention. kind of like playing around and like yeah <laughs> and, 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 I, and i think that's like another part of it is like it just makes it so fun to write code even though you're not actually writing the code and that's such an important part too of like the playground is if it can make it enjoyable i think it'll get It'll draw in more people. Oh my God. OpenAI implodes their own meetings with us because they're like, hey, everybody, so we have a new tool for you. And here it is. <laughs> and then no one is paying attention to that person anymore past that point. <laughs> Every, you see everyone just glaze over looking at their computers, just, you know, playing around with the tool. And they're like, all right, well, so I lost you all. So I'm, we're going to end this meeting now. <laughs> just the idea that I'm writing English and the code is appearing on the right unbelievable it's like unbelievable my latest demo right? i did that so um i have friends well my my business partner with create labs the co-founder also works at triller and they run verses which is like these live hip-hop events 
So I'm like, oh, it'd be cool if there was like a trailer app uh, where the audience can like judge, you know, the performance. So I was doing that live in Codex by just writing out uh, descriptions of what the app should look like. And I'm panning with my phone to the right and showing like the instant output. Oh, my God. As I'm writing it. And and, uh, just the impact of that, the effect is, is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's insane to see. It's a it's a lifetime experience, just like GPT three playground, you know. Um, but the the, the real timeness is a really interesting idea, right? Like, what if coding can become like more like jazz? Like it's almost like improvisational. Do you know what I'm saying? Hello and welcome back. Sorry, it looks like we got disconnected there. Um, uh. Just waiting on. Can you both hear me? Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. We got disconnected. It's. I think it's my internet. I. You know. I apologize. Uh, so, uh, Abron, why don't you pick up where you left off? Oh no! I totally forgot what I was talking about. Uh, do you remember? Um, the last thing I was just saying is the real timeness is uh, like really compelling, like how that could change programming. Yeah, no, I, I lost whatever the, the point that I was trying to make. So we can, we can move forward. Okay. I just, I think maybe programming could become a lot more like jazz. Like if it's so real time, if you can just write code snippets of code that easily, the creativity and innovation might come from, you might have all these ideas because you're not so caught up writing the code. You might have all these ideas while you're writing it and just, put them in there, right? Like just improvise as you go along. I mean, for me, I could, I could definitely see myself thinking that way, but I don't know how people who code think. And if they think in that way, as they write the code, um, hmm. I think about it more from a, as being a communicator that I just got to try different ways to communicate with it. This is similar to GPT-3. GPT-3 is a lot about how you communicate with it. And a lot of my time that I spend in the office hours with other developers is helping them become better communicators uh, about the things that they're trying to do. Um, so I usually stay within that realm, but I don't know if writing code is the exact same, um, you know, kind of, you know, parallel. I think kind of to that, it's funny you bring that up because like being effectively communicating with your code is also like a problem that programmers talk about as well. And it's kind of interesting to see how it's kind of just become abstracted, like one layer up almost uh, with Codex, which is pretty interesting. Um, and, I, and I think like it, it, it kind of like goes back to the point of how um, in some ways you are kind of thinking of like similar things when you're writing Codex prompts or like writing code, one just kind of happens to be faster uh, to some extent. Well, I there is something about modern day programming that it is uh you know you have to plan you have to make a wireframe you have to make the design if it's a company you have to get all these approvals product managers need to speak with this you know the chief product officer right and only then once then it will enter the sprint plan and have all these tickets and you know people have to complete those tickets do you know what i'm saying and there's like a two-week schedule typically right and a, right. and a daily stand-up um 
I just perhaps OpenAI Codex can reduce a lot of the formality and the risk and because everything right now in programming is a function of cost, right? Like what's the best use for our engineers who we pay so much in their time? Uh, perhaps we'll need less planning and uh, be a lot more liberal and let people uh, just make it and like like we'll decide <laughs> if, if it's good or not or and add more features in on the fly, right? As opposed to the formalities and the bureaucracy that we have now. And I, and I think even as like a hobbyist, uh, if you can get your ideas out there quicker, mm -hmm. uh, the quicker you can sort of like iterate and like figure out what it is actually what you want. I think something interesting that comes up for me, I don't know if you have a similar experience is I think I have an idea going in of like what sort of project I want to make. And then as I play around with it and as I discover new things, that idea kind of transforms into something maybe completely different, maybe slightly tangential. And like, I think that process of like building is in some ways already connected to like ideation. And so with Codex, you can just do that faster and like discover new things much quicker. I see. Yeah. Imagine, imagine that mentality though, in, in a, in a whole company, right? Like imagine everybody's like that, uh, what it could mean, right? Instead of the formalities we have now, uh, it's just a really interesting idea. That's all we'll see, right? It's so crazy. All of this is so early days. Even GPT-3 is so early days. Like we're scratching the surface and there's so much that's we're, we're going to see happens, right? Oh my God, that's, that's my point. I'm like, I can't take it. Like just as I'm trying to wrap my head around GPT-3, they're like, oh, here you go. Here's a whole nother one. And I'm like, hey, are you serious? And then, you know, who knows what's going to come down the pike, you know, later in the, in the year or, or next year where, you know, we're just going to get, you know, past the green stage of, Codex, and then something else is going to come along. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so did you guys have any closing thoughts? Any anything you want to share that we didn't cover today? I have like three points, believe it or not. So, do you guys have anything? Just stay creative. Uh, don't don't be dismayed by any of this stuff. If you feel like you're, you have to think a lot of this stuff you know, imposter syndrome comes in or feeling like you're not competent enough as a, as a technical person to understand it. You know, that's, that's an easy perception to have when you're on the outside looking in, but then when you're in there and you just play around with it, you're like, Oh, this isn't so bad. So just stay creative mm -hmm. and mess around with the systems and you'd be surprised what you can get out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so many things to discover that frankly, none of us have any idea of like what sort of things people can come up with with this mm -hmm. um and i don't think there is any like technical bar you have to pass in order to discover those things so just experiment have fun and see what you can come up with and you'll you might even surprise yourself with what you end up with yes i i agree with all that uh i would you know plug uh, you know getting gpt3 and openai access um it's on the openai website to apply and also they're doing a coding challenge, I believe tomorrow. I, maybe I should try to get this podcast out today. And this, by the way, the coding challenge, isn't that such a great idea? Don't you guys love that so much? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, definitely, I don't, uh, I don't know what the challenge is going to be. <laughs> and, um, I just, uh, I, I, I think I'm, I always tell people GPT-3 is so usable. Like you do not need to be a coder. You can speak it to it in any language, like this stuff too. Like I, I want to encourage more people who are non-technical, who've never done this stuff before to try it. And you'll be surprised what you're capable of doing. Um, 
And, you know, part of the reason I make so much stuff is I like giving people context. I find if you give non-technical people context, the technology itself becomes a lot less intimidating. Um, so, I mean, th those are the main things. I had some small points as well. I, I didn't get a chance to cover. The first thing is, I think I mentioned language matters. I think one one mistake I made is I wrote something like, uh, I need a red circle object. I wrote that, right? And I was imagining it's going to draw like a raw red circle, but it literally made an object like in the code <laughs> for uh, like the red circle and all its properties. So I guess one piece of advice I have is if you're non-technical, I think some of the stumbles you'll run into is when you accidentally use a programming word, like something which is specifically exclusively for programming, like an object, and it will give you a behavior you don't understand. So you want to be careful with words like object, variable, um, what else? Main program. You guys with me? Function, right, is, is another yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I've, I've toyed around with that too of like when especially when i try and get like a, what we call a splash page right or like i've tried to interchange that word do i say splash do i say a landing page do i say a home page do i say a wireframe right i've, I've toyed with different syntax and, and vernacular just to, to see if it varies in output yeah yep uh yeah actually any comment or no yeah it is really similar to GPT-3 in that way, where like small wording changes can make a big difference. And so definitely play around with that. Yeah. Um, I One other point I had is like, like look, I, I really, you know, I, I agree with you, the Microsoft Word thing. Uh, you know, the, the partnership with OpenAI and, and Microsoft is incredible. I don't think we would have OpenAI, to be honest, like all the stuff we have now, if it wasn't for the partnership with Microsoft. I'm excited for people to make stuff on top of Word. But I tweeted this a long time ago. I said, if Microsoft was really into OpenAI kind of stuff, um, they would integrate GPT-3 into Microsoft Word. Like that's the, that would be a game-changing move if we're talking about the community and exposing people to the power of uh, large-scale language models like GPT-3. And look, I'm, I'm hating a bit. I apologize. Uh, again, I'm, I'm grateful to Microsoft. And I'm grateful to OpenAI. I understand these are companies, like they're businesses. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that goes on. Maybe they've talked about it. But I kind of, I like floating ideas out just to see how the universe reacts. And I just think GPT-3 integrated into Microsoft Word could be game changing. That's just my opinion though. Um, the last thing is I, I am interested in use and what people build on top of it. I get good... I get a good hunch with something to do with Chrome extensions. And also, uh, I get a good hunch, like, um, just maybe there might be an ecosystem that gets built here, like people sharing their different uh, pieces of code that were generated and, you know, sharing what they know, exchanging them, reusing them. Did, did you guys think of something similar? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, to be honest, I, especially coming fresh off the launch, we haven't really come up to breathe to really think objectively about any of this stuff and take like a 30,000 foot view of like long term. So this is really like the first time of like, step away from your homework <laughs> of like getting our own demos out because we were on deadline too. You know, so yeah, you know, I think I think there's a lot that we need to think about for, you know, all right, we got the demos out for the community. 
And now we got to think like, all right, what are the large scale implications of this? You know, who, yep. wh- what kind of educator role should we play for the community from a business standpoint? What are the things that we can develop for the business or help other people vision for themselves? Like what yep. business implications are there right now versus down the line? Um, but I haven't really had a chance to breathe. <laughs> and, I, and I think to that point, something that I think is kind of different sort of in this go around with Codex as compared to GPT-3 was like, I felt like at the start of GPT-3, I mean, everyone in the community was trying to make as many cool demos as possible. Where I was like, what I'm kind of seeing now, like initially is people are thinking a lot more about like, you know, what are the use cases that are going to stick around and be here for a while? And I think that's kind of just like a sign of like us as a community, you know, having seen something similar to this before, like taking learnings from it. And I'm hoping that it means we'll get cooler things a lot faster this time around. Mm-hmm. And we just hit a year. We just hit a year with GPT-3, right? Yes. We hit uh, 24 hours with Codex. <laughs> so I think we're going to need a little <laughs> bit more than 24 hours to figure out, you know, yeah. what's going to be the true game changer. But because of the training that we all had with GPT-3, I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to take a year for us to really wrap our heads around what's what's possible yep. here with Codex. What happened with GPT-3? G- and the crazy <laughs> thing is, like, GPT-3 is also just kind of getting started. Like there's so many use cases there already that yeah. probably exist that we haven't found yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's funny to talk about it like, oh yeah, that's the old thing. And then now we have this new thing now, even though that's like barely scratching the surface too. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, guys, you guys know me. This is just, this is just how my mind is wired. <laughs> like I'll see it. I'll see anything and I'll be like, what does this mean for like two, five, ten years from now? Like it's just, I, that's how I think. But yeah, I, I haven't forgot about GPT-3. I, I still love GPT-3, you know, and I'm starting to love Codex. It has a personality of its own, but I'm, I am enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I even enjoy GitHub Copilot. I, I wouldn't, if you told me today you can't use GitHub Copilot anymore, I would not be okay with it. Um, and e- even if they told me you got to pay 20 bucks a month, I, I would pay. I, I don't know if you guys are the same. Yeah. I mean, that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah something's working yeah yeah um anyway so i just one last point is i recommend everybody go read the OpenAI codex research paper uh obviously this is this will give you some understanding of OpenAI codex itself how it came together the research behind it and of course what's really exciting is they're doing research into the social implications of what it means like what could it mean for programmers and their living for example right so I just want to plug that uh, in there as well, that everybody listening, uh, go check it out. So uh, final chance, any, any, any points you guys want to share? Anything that we didn't cover? No, this okay. is great, man. Thank you so All much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for having us. No, it's, it's my pleasure, man. Appreciate you guys. So uh, I'm not joking. Everybody listening to the podcast, you know, you're going to follow both of these guys everywhere. And you're going to learn from them. And when you get access to the OpenAI beta, I want you to reach out to them and get their advice uh, because they've helped so many people. They've seen a lot. They, you know what I mean? Like it, they can give you those little nuanced pointers that can help you go a really long way. Um, they've contributed a lot to the community. I am not an OpenAI ambassador. I can't imagine how much you guys put in to just helping people, you know, in the purest sense. Um, so, uh, Abron, why don't you go ahead? You got anything to plug? You want to just share your socials, anything like that? Yeah, uh, you can follow Create Labs. Um, uh, our main in- platform is Instagram for Create Labs. Um, 
You can follow me uh, on Twitter, just at Abron. Uh, and uh, if you, you know, with the old guy with GPT-3, if you need help there with developing, if you get access or if you need help developing, you know, an MVP or with prompt engineering, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, but, you know, we like to focus on social impact as well. And um, any projects that, that you contract us for, you know, we're always trying to help, you know, young aspiring people um, take on that work and, and get their hands on on this technology as well. So there's always a give back, even with the client work. And what about you, Yash? I mean, yeah, just come say hi. If you have, um, if you have access to the beta, just come book an office hour and come say hi. Even if it's just, you have this like really cool, strange idea and you're not sure what to do with it yet. I'd love to talk about it with you. Let's see how far we can take it. Um, those often end up being like the most interesting and the most fun calls. Just, yeah. Um, anytime you want to reach out, I'm also on Twitter. Got feel free to message me there. Anything you want to talk about in regards to building stuff with this tech, I'm all ears and I'd love to help in any way that I can. Awesome. Yeah. Make sure like let's uh, in the Twitter thread we have going, send these links. I'll put them in the podcast uh, description and the YouTube comment, the YouTube uh, description as well. The podcast notes in the YouTube description, send that over. I'll put it in. And um, uh, I think uh, honestly, like, I appreciate you guys being here. And uh, again, like I learn a lot from both of you, even just passively on Twitter. <laughs> like, so I, I really recommend like following them on Twitter at least. I, I think you'll you'll learn a lot. And the moment you follow people like Abron, like Yash, Bram's unfortunately not here. But if he was here, the moment you follow these people on Twitter, you are exposed to the total inside of this whole world. <laughs> Right. Like what's going on? What's everybody thinking about? Where is it going? You follow these people if you, if you really want to be in the know. Um, so I, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough and make sure you check out the projects they're working on. Um, so anyways, thank you guys again, both sincerely for being here. You guys are my first guests. I appreciate you biting the bullet. Um, and, uh, that's it for this week. I guess I'll see you in the next podcast. Uh, Multimodal by Backstreet Future is available on every podcast place, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pocket Casts. You know about my newsletter, bakztfuture.substack.com. I share behind the scenes stuff, other ideas I have, random things I'm thinking about. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at bakztfuture. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great day, night, evening morning, wherever you are, whatever you're doing in the universe, whatever you got planned. If you're trying OpenAI Codex, I hope you're having a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Take care, yo. Thank you so much. See ya.